We're going to be looking at David in the wilderness this morning. We've been looking at uh, the life of David, sharing from his life what, that, what David's life can teach us. And this morning, we're going to look at that period of his life that we all avoid. That period in his life that the Bible doesn't say as much about as it could, but it says enough. The period in David's life when everything went wrong. But before we get there, just a little recap. What have we been learning about the life of David? The first thing we learn, and there's notes over there on the uh, info desk, by the way, if you want to grab those. I keep forgetting until I've got into it. Grab one if you want one. They are free. All right, you don't get much in free, free in this life, so you might as well grab something like that. First thing we've learned about David was he was nobody. Now, why is that important? That's important because we are nobody. Not very many of us are famous. Not very many of us have our name in the paper. Not very many of us are known by anybody outside of our immediate fam- family and friends. Most of us, if we go down the streets of Dunedin, would be not able to talk to too many people because we don't know them all. They don't know us. We are nobodies. But David was a nobody who became somebody. And the thing we learn about David is that God is good at taking nobodies and making somebody out of them. Just because you feel like a nobody doesn't mean there's nothing for you to do for God or nothing that God can't do in you. It's got nothing to do with your reputation. It's got everything to do with God's ability. Second thing we learn about David was he was an ordinary person, just ordinary, nothing special. Not of great great intellect, not of great physical ability. He was probably the shortest in his family. He was, he was just, just ordinary. But he came in contact with an extraordinary God. And out of that relationship, the ordinary person with the extraordinary God, we had an extraordinary king come forth. So just because you're ordinary this morning is not the end of the line. It's the beginning. If you would make contact with the extraordinary God, God can do amazing things in you. Third thing, David was a person just like us. So you've just been saying that. No, not only was he nobody, not only was he ordinary, but he had faults and failings. Now, many of us think that our faults and failings disqualify us. I, I went through the first 10 years of my Christian life guilty. Anyone with me? Yeah, all of you. You're all guilty. And if you're not, you probably should be. (laughs) We go through life guilty. We go through life feeling we have failed. Failed ourselves, failed our family, failed God. I used to come to church on a Sunday feeling guilty about the things I had done during the week or the things I had been thinking, probably more that, or, or, or the things that had gone on in my life before guilty and thinking oh God how can you use me I had this feeling that God was just waiting with a baseball bat or a four by two up in the sky a four by two with a nail in it I thought and he's just waiting for me to slip up so he could whack me over the head with it that was my impression of God that God wanted me to be somebody more than what I was and it took me a long time to realize that God doesn't care Oh, yeah, he cares about sin. He cares about those things, but he cares more about you and I. And the beauty of David was he was not perfect. He had failings. He had sins in his life. He made mistakes, some of them bigger than you will ever make. 
And yet God loved him, and God chose him, and God used him. God even used him right in the middle of him making mistakes. Isn't that amazing? I wouldn't do that. You know, if I was God, I wouldn't do that. I'd, I'd have the four by two thing. But, but not our God. He will use us in the middle of our mess. And that's the beauty of David. David's life was a little bit of a mess. And as we go through this, we're going to see some of his messes right out there. But God used him. And God can use you and he can use me, regardless of the messes we create. Now, I'm not saying it's okay to create a mess. I'm not saying it's okay to be naughty. I'm not saying it's okay to go off and do your own thing. I'm saying if you do that, you'll reap what you sow. But God loves you anyway. Do you get the message? Did God love the things that David did? No. Did it stop him using him? No. But did it stop God also dealing with him? No. He does all those things all at once. In the middle of our mess, he uses us and he sorts us out. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't wait till we're perfect before he uses us. He uses us as a mess and he sorts us out in the process. I love him. He's great. And the last thing we've looked at about David is we can see that all things are possible. Nothing's impossible. If you look at something in your life and say, that's impossible, forget it. Nothing's impossible with God. That problem you're having right now is not impossible to God. That situation you're in right now is not impossible to God. Nothing is impossible when we let God have his way in us. The only time things are impossible is when we refuse to give in to God. Then it becomes impossible. We've made it that way. But if we will give in to God, all things are possible. Now we're going to look at a, this period of David's life, which I think is the most significant of all. It's actually the period in David's life where God did the most. We would think that when we look back at David's life, we see he was chosen and anointed be king, to be king. We think, wow, that is an amazing event. But you know what? It didn't change David. The anointing to be king did not make him king. It was just God saying in the future, this is going to happen, buddy. But there's a little journey for you to go on. The anointing did not make him king. Then he delivered Israel by killing Goliath. David killing Goliath did not make him king. It was a great event, but it did not make him king. He led Saul's army to victory. He had people singing songs about him, which got him into trouble. But it did not make him king. But now Saul has become jealous of him, partly because of the songs they sang. And David's running for his life, as we saw last time. And this period of running for his life wasn't short. It was years long. David was years in the wilderness. Years in suffering, years in pain, years in torment, years with questions, years asking why. During this time, it looks like everything has fallen apart. It's all gone. The anointing, the victories, Goliath, the word of God, the promises. Where are they now? I remember as a 16-year-old 
having a prophetic word spoken over me, an amazing prophetic word of God's promises of what he would do in my life in the future. And then came the then, the time when I began to go through a period where it didn't look like anything was happening. In fact, things were happening that were not good. And I wonder what it had become of those promises. I'd try harder to make them come to pass, and the more I tried, the worse it became. The harder it became, the more difficult that period became until I realized I was on a journey, that those promises were concerning the end of the journey, not the beginning. And as I followed God on that journey, He would sort it all out. He would work it all through. David's now in a journey. On this journey, where's the kingdom? Where's the dreams? Where's God's promise? Where's his word? Where is Samuel? Where is the crown? God's chosen one now finds himself for years in the desert. Let's go to 1 Samuel 23, shall we? Make sure you do turn in your Bibles or on your phone or whatever you're using to read the Word of God because it's important to read. 1 Samuel 23, verse 29. Actually, we'll go back a little bit further. Verse 26, this is talking about the, the pursuit of, of, Saul, of David by Saul. Saul was going along one side of the mountain and David and his men were on the other side hurrying to get away from Saul. That was David's life. Everywhere he went, Saul chased him. He wasn't left alone. He wasn't just in the wilderness. He was running for his life day after day after day. Here he is on one side of the mountain. Saul's on the other side of the mountain, and they're trying to get away. And as Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. Verse 29, And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Angedi. He lived in in the caves. He lived in the wilderness. He lived in that dark, dry, dreary place. In chapter 24, verse 1 and 2, and after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of Enjedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats, and so on and so forth. Saul was pursuing him in the desert. David's running for his life. Now, he didn't start there. And it's important for us to understand he didn't finish there, but right now he's in there. In your life this morning, you haven't started where you are right now, but you are not going to finish where you are right now. You are there, but you're not going to stay there unless you choose to. David spent several years there, several very significant years. In fact, they were the most important years of David's life. He didn't think so. His family didn't think so. His friends didn't think so. But those years made David who he was. Now, what do we know about the wilderness for David? It's a dry and it's a difficult place. There's no KFC there. There's no Burger King there and there's no McDonald's. There's beetles and grubs and locusts. I've eaten locusts, by the way. 
One of them made me so sick, I'm not going to do it ever again. It wasn't the locust, it was what was in it. <laughs> they taste like peanut butter, just a little bit. No wings on, no legs, they strip them all off and then roast them. You've got nothing to eat, it's not a bad option. But it's a dry and difficult place. It's lonely. You don't have a lot of people out there. It's not a good place to live. It's wild. It's uncontrolled. It's freezing at night and it's boiling in the daytime. It's a place of great threat and danger. Wild animals are out there. Lions, tigers, bears, you name it. They're all there. Sometimes our lives are like that, you know. Not in a literal desert very few of us have ever been there but there are times our lives look like they are dry and difficult is that right there are times you just go through a dry time you know God where are you what's going on here what's going on in my life it's lonely no one understands no one's going through what I'm going through. The truth is, probably half the people are going through what you're going through, but you don't realize it because they don't tell you. It's lonely. It's wild. It's uncontrolled. It's full of spiritual threat and danger. There are times like that. If you haven't had them, you will, but most of us have had them already, at least 15. And the wilderness is all about survival. It's not about thriving. It's about surviving. And the important thing for us to understand, and this mightn't sound very positive, the important thing for us to understand is we all have wilderness times in our lives. There are all, we all go through times where it's survival. And it's an interesting thing about the desert, the wilderness, it's, it's a place of dryness, it's a difficult place, but it's a place of great contrast. There's also great beauty in the desert. If you look hard enough, you go to the Grand Canyon, it's just a great big dry, massive expanse, but it's beautiful. You go into the desert areas, if you look hard enough, there are, there's the odd flower that pokes out, and it's beautiful. There's beauty there, if you look for it. But there's danger there, side by side. And the most important thing about this period in David's life was it didn't make sense. You see, we, we read the Bible so quick, but we forget that he was in this period of his life for years. It did not make sense. God had called him. God had placed his anointing upon him. God had said, you're going to be king. God had taken him out of the family when he did not choose to be taken. God chose him. He'd had great victories. He'd, he'd slayed Goliath. Things had gone well for him. He was offered the king's daughter as his as his wife he was he everything was going well for him and then it all fell apart and none of it was earned none of it was deserved it didn't make sense one minute they're singing his praises the next minute they're after his head for david the wilderness was life and death struggle And for you and I, 
There are times like that, as I've just said, in our lives as well. Difficult things happen that are hard to understand. You say, why? Why did this happen to me, God? Why, why am I experiencing this right now? Why am I going through this period of dryness? Why are those people opposing me now? Why is the darkness that can't be explained? Why is this happening to me? And we can go into a wilderness time through jobs. You know, our work can just be hell. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what that's like? You, you go to work and that's where, you know, it's like the boss is the devil. and the, It's just awful. And you can't leave it because you need the money. You're stuck. Relationships can cause a wilderness in your life. You're just not getting on with people anymore. You've, you've had a fallout with people, and it's, it's horrible, particularly if it's in the church. Family. Here's the, this, is the, this is the goodie. Families can take you into the wilderness. Your parents can take you there. Your kids can take you there. Your teenagers can take you there. Your aunts and your uncles can take you there. Things can be done to you, said to you. Things can happen to you in your family that take you into a wilderness time where you can't understand, God, why is this happening to me? Why? Sound familiar? Finances can take you there, or the lack of them. Your health can take you there. God, why am I sick? Why aren't I getting better? How come I've prayed and prayed and prayed and you haven't healed me? How come this person gets healed and I don't? <laughs> yeah, I've never understood that. You know, you have, a, have healing meetings and a healing evangelist or whatever comes through and five people get healed and the other, peop- other people go away just the same, some of them worse. First one Reese Howes prayed for, died. God said, I take the first fruits. If you've never prayed for anybody, tell them it's your first time. No, nah, that's... There's nothing, nothing spiritual about that. But your health can take you into a wilderness time. You just don't understand why. The wilderness is a why time. Why is this happening? Why isn't it better? Why doesn't God do this? Why don't these people do this? Why, why, why? And you never get an answer. That's a wilderness. And for David, that question would go on and on. Why is this happening to me? What have I done wrong? Why has God let this happen after such a good start? There's various reasons we enter a wilderness. Often we enter a wilderness time because of what others do. That's David. Saul drove him there. David didn't choose to go there. Sometimes it's because circumstances are beyond our control. We're just in one of those times, you know? Sometimes it's through the wrong, our own wrong actions that take us into a wilderness. Israel, for example, went into a wilderness time in their national history because of their wrong actions, things they had done. We take ourselves there sometimes. Sometimes a wilderness can be the result of, a demo, of demonic opposition. Think of Job. What caused Job's problem? The devil. God didn't do it. Job didn't do it. His friends didn't help. But the devil was the problem. And occasionally we're even led there by God himself. Jesus 
was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led there by God. But whatever the reason, a wilderness is a wilderness. It really doesn't matter why you're there. The fact is, you're sometimes there. And so whatever the reason, the wilderness can be used by God for our highest good. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. Whatever situation of life you are in this morning, God can use for your highest good. David became the man he became because of that period of his life. Without that period of his life, he never would have risen to the heights he rose to. It was that period of his life that trained him. It was that period of his life that gave him steel in his backbone. It was that period of his life that gave him the ability to hold on when things were tough. It was that period of his life that caused him to trust in God like never before. Without the wilderness, he would never have become David the king. Let's look at James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. We're going to look at a few passages in the New Testament that talk about this kind of thing. This doesn't sound very uplifting, does it? I want you to know this is the most uplifting message you're going to hear because this is real. This is your life, people. And we've got to know how to deal with our lives. We've got to know how to deal with those situations we go through. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. I love this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Get excited. Things are going wrong. Is that your response? (laughs) Well, he says, consider it pure joy. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking in anything. Consider it pure, pure joy. Why? Because those things you're going through are going to build things in your life which are going to take you into the future, which are going to make you a better person. I hated school. Anyone with me? I became a teacher. Don't ask me why. I hated the place. I hated high school most. Primary school you could play still. But high school you had to work. And I didn't like it. I hated maths. I was good at it, but I hated it. I despised physics. The only good thing I did in French was turn the teacher's classroom upside down. School, to me, was difficult, but I tell you what, I learned stuff there. Apart from how to turn a teacher's classroom upside down. I learned things at school that had taken me through my life. I learned how to do things I didn't like doing because I had to. I learned to do things for myself rather than have them fed to me. I learned so much at school. Did that make me like it more? No, but it was good for me. I hate the dentist. No dentist here. 
I hate going to the dentist, but if I don't go to the dentist, I'm in trouble. It's good for me. (laughs) Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you go through difficult times. Why? They're good for you. You learn stuff there that you won't learn anywhere else. I learned things during those difficult periods of my early Christian life that I, I would never have learned anywhere else. I learned how to trust in God. When our daughter was not healed of the condition she had and we had to go time after time after time into hospitals, through treatments, through operations, through hell and high water, when we went through that with her, we, we didn't see God do a miracle, but we learned how to trust in Him. We learned how to hold on to him with all of our hearts. We learned how to hold on and not let go when he wasn't talking back. I tell you what, that's got me through my ministry. means I can smile on Monday after Sunday. (laughs) Nothing wrong with Sundays here, but there have been some Sundays in my times gone by. And you get to the end of the Sunday and you think, dear God, is there a God? (laughs) First Peter 1. Six and seven. He says here, in this you greatly rejoice. Here it is again. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes perishes, even though refined by, by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. There it is again. Those times you're going through make you better. They refine you. They make you stronger. They're good for you. The dentist's good for you. School's good for you. Eating broccoli's good for you. In Romans 8.28, you may all know. Do you know it? Quote it to me. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose how many things all things just the good things no the bad things too all things work together for good even that thing even that thing will work together for good for those who love God and according to His purpose, uh, 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 and are called according to His purpose, hear me. Even your mistakes. I'm not saying go ahead and make mistakes, but God can even take your mistakes and cause them to work together for good. And the devil would take you and beat you over the head over your mistakes and say, you're no good, you're no good, you're doing that. Oh, you're no good. How can God use you? And God says, I can even take your mistake and work it together for good if you love me. All things. So the question is, how? How does that wilderness time actually work good in you how do those all things work together for good how can you have joy in the middle of that how let's go to psalm 57 and we're going to finish here this morning 
at the conference on the back wall they had a countdown which counted down as the preacher was going I don't think I like it because it tells you how long I'm going to go for and it would depress you if you saw you turned around at the beginning and saw how long you had to wait for I remember turning around once I thought oh flipping heck it's got 45 minutes I'm hungry not a good thing anyway Psalm 57 it's sometimes good when you read the Psalms to read the heading because in the heading of the Psalm it tells you when it was written and that's really important because it gives you the context Psalm 57 what does it say? don't worry about all the directions to the musicians that's just how they're meant to play it because this was a song then it says a miktam or a song when he fled from Saul into the cave this was written at the exact time we just read before okay so this is David in the middle of his hell right at the very beginning when he's asking all the whys why is this happening why is this not not happening God why 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 Psalm 57 let's read it have mercy on me O God have mercy on me for in you my soul takes refuge I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I lie lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. That wasn't literal. You understand that, don't you? Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, for they have, uh, uh, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. If you're trying to sleep while David's around, you might have trouble. He was singing before the sun came up. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And he wrote this at his darkest time. How did David get through the wilderness how did they, God well, how was God able to ca- cause all things to work together for good in David's life it was his response it wasn't the difficulty it was his response in the middle of it how did David respond in the wilderness verse 1 and 2 he leaned on God he says God in you my soul takes refuge I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings God I lean on you. You know, in our difficult times, often we run away from God. David ran to him. In our difficult times, we we sort of go into lockdown. David went into open up. He leaned on God. Verse 3, he listened to God. He says, he sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. How do you know that unless you've got your heart open and you're listening to God to receive his love and his faithfulness? He's not saying, oh God, 
you got me in here you're a mean God I'm not listening to you till things improve God I'm shutting off that wasn't David he opened his heart he listened to God he allowed God to speak to him in fact the wilderness time can be a time where God speaks to you more than any other if you're open to him not that he's speaking more it's just you start listening a bit more and then verses 7 to 11 my heart is steadfast O God my heart is steadfast I will sing and make music awaken my soul awaken harp and lyre I will awaken the dawn I will praise you O Lord among the nations I'll sing of you among the peoples for great is your love reaching to the heavens your faithfulness reaches to the skies be exalted O God above the heavens let your glory be over all the earth what's he doing He's lifting his eyes from his physical reality to the God who's greater than that. And he's saying, I'm not going to dwell on the desert. I'm not going to dwell on the wild animals. I'm not going to dwell on the pain. I'm not going to dwell on what people are saying about me. I'm not going to dwell on the fact that I'm lonely. I'm not going to dwell on the fact that this isn't fair. I'm not going to dwell on the fact that it should be better than this. I'm going to dwell on the God who's bigger than this. God, great is your faithfulness. You are great. You are mighty. God, your glory is above all the earth. Be exalted, O God. He's focusing on the one who's bigger. And something happens when we do that. Something happens when we lift up our gaze beyond what we're experiencing to the God who's greater. We start to change on the inside. Our heart starts to change. Our thinking starts to change. Our attitude starts to change. The atmosphere around us, around us starts to change. We change when we lift our eyes beyond where we are to where God is. Folks, that's the answer. That's the answer in every aspect of life. But when you're in the middle of a difficult time, that's the only way through it is to lift your eyes and say, God, this stinks, but you're great. It's not, it's not living in a fake world that you're, oh, this, this isn't happening to me. Yes, it is happening to you. But God is in the midst of it with you, and he's good, he's great, he's mighty, he's for you. He's, he, he's wanting to do good things in your life. He has a good plan for your life. He's going to do good things. You're not going to stay there. You're going to come out of it. There's going to be an end to this. Some of you need to hear this morning, there is going to be an end to this. It's not your forever but while you're in it, who are you looking at? Who are we focusing on? Who are we leaning on? Where are our eyes? What, what are we thinking about? See, David ran from Saul into the wilderness, and in the wilderness he ran into the arms of God. And I want you to understand, in my difficult times have been the times I've been closest to God. Isn't that weird? The thing, when, when, when things have been going bad in my life, that has been when I've got closer. When things go well, do you know what I tend to do? Forget all about them and do my own thing. I just get on with life and enjoy life. And, but when things go bad, that's when I go back to Him. Because I know I need Him. You know, we need to be continually living in that place where we need God. And in the wilderness, you, in those times when you can't control it, that's when you know you need him. And that's when, if you're wise, you'll cr cry out to him. And what was the result of that? God took a young man 
with a promise of being king and turned him into a king. The wilderness changed a boy into a king. The wilderness took a nobody and turned him into a sovereign. The wilderness took a man with mistakes and failings and turned him into an ordinary man who knew how to move in the power of the extraordinary God. That wilderness was vital in David's life. We don't seek for it, we don't long for it, but I tell you what, when you're in it, make the most of it. Because it can be the time of the greatest growth. Great kings aren't made in soft palaces. Great warriors aren't developed in comfortable houses. My son did army training. It was hell. You don't turn great warriors into great warriors by putting them into Disneyland. And you know what? Diamonds aren't formed in warm shop windows either. Diamonds are formed under the ground under pressure in the darkness. That product in the warm shop window is just the end. It's beautiful, but it could never have been there if it wasn't for the darkness and the pressure. And what about you and I? Those wilderness times come to us all. You may be in one right now, you may not be, but they come to us all. How are we going to respond? Are we going to allow God to work within us? Are we going to allow him to touch our lives like never before? Are we going to lift our eyes and say, God, you are greater? It's not about me, God. It's about you. And Lord, I'm going to worship you because you deserve it. And as we do that, God is able to take the ordinary and turn it into the extraordinary. He's able to take the nothing and turn it into something. He's able to take the black bit of coal and turn it into a beautiful diamond because we choose to focus on the one who's able. Let's stand to our feet this morning. We're going to sing this song just before we finish. Waiting here for you. One thing I didn't say was David sought refuge in the wilderness. Refuge isn't a place, it's a person. Waiting here for you. You're not waiting for a place. You're not waiting for things to change you're seeking a person God he's here for you